The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. From days long ago, from uncharted regions of the universe, comes a legend. The dream that came through a million years, that lived on through all the tears. It came here, the Fandom Nexus. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to our host as he plugged in his microphone. I have a podcast! Here he is, your Spider-Pan, Jeremy. Hello and welcome to the Neverland Fandom Nexus. And of course, as you just heard, it's me, your Spider-Pan, Jeremy. And I'm here on my own. I wanted to make sure I got a show out there. You know, sometimes working with a co-host gets you know, challenging when your co-host is a very busy person as well. Uh, and so it's, it's hard, been hard to be consistent. And I've kind of thought, you know, it's like the most consistent I was is kind of running solo. And it's hard to keep in a co-host because co-hosts sometimes, you know, they have other things they're doing. And I have some things that I'm doing. And I get busy and trying to coordinate and get on the same schedule is, well, tricky. It's uh, So it's kind of been a challenge here lately trying to keep things going. I'm like, you know, I want to be more consistent about this. I've, I've talked about trying to get this back to a weekly show. Uh, and I, heck, I've even tried. I've been considering bringing back the Mighty Marvel Toon Gas for anyone who remembers that. Uh, and we have a, a new RSS feed going for that one. And that's where I started with Tim Nidell and I. And we were going through old Marvel cartoons and going episode by episode and talking about each one going between the Spider-Man and the X-Men of the 90s. Uh, we even talked about Pride of the X-Men. We were about to expand. We recorded an episode with the uh, Incredible Hulk series from the 1990s. Uh, we have lost that audio, uh, so that never got released. So I'm going to have to redo that one. Uh, but I, I've looked for a new co-host. I've got a couple guys that are potential that kind of fizzed out. Uh, and I don't know if I'd be able to be, keep up that sort of a schedule. Uh, I'm finding it very difficult on days that I go to drive you know, an hour to work and then an hour back. I come home and I'm tired and I don't feel like recording a show and if I don't get it done over the weekend, it's going to be very difficult for me to do it on a weekday. Uh, as it happens today, I actually worked half my day remotely from home because I was trying to figure out some stuff with my taxes, and I wanted to be home to sort it out. But unless I really messed up uh, with an amended tax return, <laughs> I've got a nice refund. But I may have messed up. I don't know. I'm sure I'm so- I'll soon find out when that amended comes back from the state because <laughs> I, d- I-, I tried to do it myself through H&R Block, and I don't know if I did so good, but... <laughs> One thing, though, I've been considering about the show is, you know, I was thinking, the thing, you know, we've become kind of almost more modern and almost like the pop culture. Well, what's the new movies coming out? Uh, what new games are coming out? That kind of thing. And that was not my intention necessarily. I mean, I like being able to talk about some of these things. But I, you know, we were supposed to be kind of a retro show when I started this show. So I'm thinking, you know, how can I get back into those roots of talking some retro? And I know between Philip and I, we can get into some some retro type of things. And I'm glad we had some retro uh, type of conversation. And with the theme, last program, last show, a couple weeks ago, I guess it's been now, uh, I'm glad we were able to talk about some classic uh, shows and movies and stuff like that. And I want to be able to keep that sort of thing going and maybe go back and uh, start with those early things that, you know, that even have had an effect on us. Heck, I could probably talk to Philip with some Andy Griffith. He's a huge fan of the Andy Griffith show. And uh, we even considered him being now somebody who maybe taught us how to how to be 
good moral men. Uh, the, the lessons we learned on that show. There's a lot, you know, because we, we kind of mentioned a lot of people who are like superheroes and stuff. Um, or larger-than-life characters. But, you know, just the ordinary guys are actually really good. Heck, I had this week, uh, this past couple of weeks, uh, we do a thing. I work at a television station. I won't say which one. Um, but we do a thing called Salute the Badge. And we go and we we do a profile on a, a story from a police officer of something that they've done where they've saved a life or have a, have a big, interesting story. Something, you know, it's good community impact. And one of the things that this officer does is he goes to, um, like, a local elementary school and goes to sixth graders because in some areas sixth graders are still in elementary before they move on to a middle school for two years instead of a three-year thing like i did but they sat with these kids and they teach them different things they go like the they'll have a couple of male officers talk to the boys a couple of female officers come and talk to the girls and uh, but they were talking about how you know just different ways to show respect and a lot of simple things and they were you know like let's let's practice a good handshake and uh, and and looking someone in the eye you know, this is good good skill to have because one day you're going to be looking for a job. Or you're going to be meeting the dean for a college, and uh, you're going to want to do this because you want to move forward. And he was even saying if you want to be the next Patrick Mahomes, you know, Patrick Mahomes had to meet with the dean of Texas Tech at some point and had to make a good impression other than being on the football field. Uh, but it was, it was good stuff like that. And, you know, it's like there we go, ordinary people doing ordinary type things. Uh, although he's had, he did do an extraordinary thing and uh, had a very good story that we've uh, – We've recorded and uh, put together. Uh, I guess in March we'll be broadcasting his his story, which is it's a good story. So, but yeah, I, that's I I want to be able to look also at uh, the ordinary people and people doing ordinary things that are actually making a difference, and that's really really a cool thing, you know. Teaching teaching boys how to just shake a hand. I remember when I was young, you know, even in church, people teaching me that. Uh, but anyways, yeah, we're kind of getting off track of what we normally do on this show. We we tend to have a lot of fun here, and I intend to have a lot of fun with you today. I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, for normally I would do a, what have you been watching, what have you been playing, but my what have you been playing has been Hogwarts Legacy, but that we're going to save that for a main topic later. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about my thoughts on the game, uh, a little bit about some of the production, uh, anything I could kind of track down to share, uh, and my experience in, the, in playing that game. Uh, also, we do have a review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania, and I'll talk a little bit some of the characters you will somewhat meet, some of the characters we've already met. But I want to talk about some of the characters in that, so that's all coming up. Uh, but going from like the normal order of things, what have you been watching? Well, Philip and I, Philip came over here. We watched Super Bowl Fifty Seven. Uh, we live here in in the Kansas City area, so of course we were rooting for the Chiefs. Had a great old time watching that game. Having you know, it's it's more fun when you have a, have some friends over to watch. Uh, so, you know, we had some snacks and uh, and and just, you know, it was oh boy, it was it was a. a it was a heart attack waiting to happen for us. It was a really good game, and uh, all of you in Philadelphia, your team played very well, I think. And I think you could, you know, hold your heads up high and say, "Hey, that was a good team." And you know, even your guy that did some holding admitted, "It's like, yeah, I grabbed the jersey, and I thought I'd let it slide." And and uh, you know, it's it's I, I thought that was very big of him to do that. And uh, but boy, that quarterback you all go over there, that hurts. Jalen hurts, man. He is he is the real deal. That is a good quarterback y'all got in, in Philadelphia. So I expect to see you guys again next season sometime. And the and the postseason mainly. I don't know if we'll play in a regular season game. I have no idea. But yeah, really enjoyed that. And that I tell you what, this town last week just went crazy. And you know, it's fun having the parade. And I've got some photos I took with a uh, a three D replica of the Lombardi Trophy uh, that we have <laughs> around there. I got some photos while we went to go see Ant Man. Uh, so yeah, and I was going to also bring up for what have we been watching? Picard season three. I know Philip has started watching it. I have never finished Picard season one. 
Uh, and the interesting thing is on YouTube, I have uh, a few people who, you know, like to do reviews of television and movies and stuff, and they'll even do some old movies and stuff. But they were, you know, talking about, it's like, wow, this just doesn't, doesn't feel like Star Trek, and it seems dark and grim and doesn't have that hopeful, that positivity that Star Trek kind of had underneath it, where it's like this hope for the future and the things that we could look to, to learn and all that kind of thing. It just seemed like it just it didn't feel like it had that. Well, uh, one of those people saying that got a chance to review the first six episodes and said, these are good for this new season, the final season of the Picard series. And he said the first six episodes were good. Can't speak to anything after that because, you know, hasn't gotten to see them yet, but the first six episodes apparently good. And Philip, I know, really enjoyed the first episode. Uh, I, I I might have to sit there and try to catch up, but they've pulled me back into watching wrestling again, you know? <laughs> so uh, I've been trying to watch Raw like the day after when it pops up on Hulu, and I did go and watch Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. So they're pulling me back in right in time for the new game to come out. So And there is some been some much better storylines than uh, than uh, there had been. It's been very entertaining, and I think they finally found the right direction to take Roman Reigns over there. So WWE has actually been getting good. Uh, AEW, I don't really have a way to watch because I don't have any sort of cable. We pulled the plug. So, can't watch that one, but, you know, it is what it is. So, but what have we been playing? That's right, Hogwarts Legacy, So, which we'll talk about that later. So, uh, we're just going to move into what little bit of news I actually have, which actually isn't any. So, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go to the trailer park. That's not the right button. Mama, now the gator got in the house. Now the gator? Give me that sugar. Come here. Oh. Get him, Mama. Oh. Get that gator. Ah. The Neverland Trailer Park. Okay, so now the first thing I had on my list, and this is mainly stuff because stuff was played during the Super Bowl. We got little commercials on that that was basically telling you that there was a trailer to go on and find on YouTube. And, of course, we got to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and I'm not going to play the audio because there's a little bit of language in there that uh, I don't find appropriate for my show. So uh, overall, though, a really nice trailer. Getting excited, you know. We're we're seeing this is going to be maybe a little bit more dramatic than what we've seen in some of the other ones. Um, I'm not sure who like the major villains. I mean, we've gotten to see Adam Warlock in there. I kind of feel like Kang is popping up. I, I expect we're going to see a lot of Kang over the next few Marvel uh, prod projects products. I don't know movies and television. I think Kang is going to be popping up more often. Because he is kind of a multiverse type villain, so he can pop up in multiple versions of himself. Uh, so I'm, I expect we're going to see a lot more of him, and I, it looks like that's going to happen as well. I did see some humor, that humor we expect from the Guardians of the Galaxy. Definitely there, uh, but definitely uh, seems like the stakes uh, feels just a little higher and a bit more dramatic, and it almost looks like Star-Lord is dead at the end. He's being carried off by Nebula at the end. Anybody else see that? So I'm kind of wondering what's up with that. So we'll find out. That is set to come out uh, here in March, I believe. I'm going to have to look that up. I may have to look that up because I'm not going to click the link because it's going to start playing a trailer and uh, that's got all the information in it, but I don't want you to hear the language in that trailer. So okay. well, we're going to move on to the next trailer, though, in the trailer park to talk about something that uh, well has a moment that kind of definitely did get me excited. Tell me something. You can go anywhere. Another timeline. Another universe. So why do you want to stay and fight to save this one? Because this is the world where my mom lives. I'm not going to lose her again. Time has a pattern. 
that it can't help reliving. Different people, different worlds, drawn to each other like magnets. My face. So my face. If you were to go into the past, you have no idea what the consequences can be. Bruce, I could fix things. You could also destroy everything. This can't be happening. I completely broke the universe. Sorry. We've been waiting for you. I created a world with no metahumans. And now there's no one to defend us. Want some help? are going to want to see this. June 16th, The Flash. Now, the odd thing is so when we're getting The Flash's own movie, we're basically getting the Flashpoint storyline with the Flashpoint Paradox, uh, where, and it's become kind of a big deal where he goes, and I mean, this is what's, what triggered the, the New 52, where he went back and trying to save his mother and created a completely alternate universe. Uh, but, of course, this gives them an opportunity to get their own multiverse going on. And James Gunn said he's going to try to pull all the stuff between television, comics, all their all their stuff together. Games, you know, he wants to have some of the, the same actors playing the same thing, even if it's just a voicing and animated, you know. He wants to try to bring this all together. We'll see how well that works out. I don't know. But anyways, this one says here in the description, Warner Brother Pictures presents The Flash, directed by Andrew Machete, The It Films, and Mama. Yeah, horror movies. That's interesting. Ezra Miller reprises the role as Barry Allen in the DC Superheroes' first ever standalone feature film. A, uh, a standalone film that features Batman and Supergirl, a very violent Supergirl that's not afraid to kill people from the look of this. Uh, so it's not, you know, it's his standalone film, but it's... Weren't there other things like in some of the other DC films that felt more like that, like is trying to be a Justice League when it wasn't quite like we had the Batman versus Superman, but and Marvel's kind of done it too, where they've have like multiple heroes showing up in a solo film, and I guess you would kind of have to because after you've got the Avengers, where you got to, you know, how come the other Avengers didn't show up when this happened? That kind of thing. 
So Marvel's been doing this already for a while, so it just feels like DC's trying to play catch up here, and we'll see if they how well they do. I mean, there's there's been I think a little bit of fatigue on these films, perhaps to a lot of people. I know my wife is tired of them; she didn't want to go see Ant Man. Uh, so for people who aren't fans of this genre, they're maybe fading out a little bit, and they're starting to maybe feel a little repetitive, like they're just the big over the top blockbuster. You know, I don't know, but I'm. So far, I, for most of these, I still have a good time. Uh, and, well, we'll get into that later when we start talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp and Quantumania. But uh, this also in the description says, Worlds collide in the Flash when Barry uses his superpowers to travel back in time in order to change the events of the past. But when his attempt to save his family inadvertently alters the future, Barry becomes trapped in a reality in which General Zod has returned, threatening annihilation, and there are no superheroes to turn to. That is, unless Barry can coax a very different Batman out of retirement and rescue an imprisoned Kryptonian, albeit not the one he's looking for. Ultimately, to save the world that he is in and to return to the future that he knows, Barry's only hope is to race for his life. But will making the ultimate sacrifice be enough to reset the universe? We'll find out uh, June 16th. All right, but let's move on to our next trailer. I am kind of looking forward to checking it out, mainly because Michael Keaton is Batman, and I must say I got very excited when we knew it was happening. And we'd seen little flashes, and we'd seen like the the Batman silhouette, but having Michael Keaton return as the the '89 Batman, uh, and even having the old Tim Burton theme pop up in there, uh, very very cool. Got me very excited when I watched it. But now something that uh, I'm I'm hoping does not let me down: Zenian Jones and the Dial of Destiny. But we only got a 30 second preview. You ever met? My memory's a little fuzzy. Are you still a Nazi? Now, what is I find very interesting, if you look on YouTube where the TV spot was, you can either like it, but you are not allowed to dislike it because it's been disabled by the owner. Are they afraid to find out if people are kind of skeptical? But, you know, John Williams is back. Philip has checked in on that. John Williams is definitely back. And as it says here in the description, pardon me. I'm sorry, I'm drinking a soda uh, as I'm trying to record here. Harrison Ford returns as the legendary hero archaeologist in the highly anticipated fifth installment of the iconic Indiana Jones franchise, which is directed by James Mangold, who did Ford vs. Ferrari and Logan, which, you know, admittedly, I've heard Ford vs. Ferrari is good. I haven't seen that one. I need to see it. Logan was pretty good. Starring alongside with Ford are Phoebe Waller-Bridge from Fleabag. Never even heard of that movie. Antonio Banderas from Pain and Glory. Yeah, I don't know that movie, but come on. We know Antonio Banderas. John Riz Davies, of course, returning as Sala. Seanette Renee Wilson uh, from Black Panther. I have no idea who that is. Thomas Kreshman from Das Boot. Toby Jones from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Toby Jones, I think, has been in quite a few things uh, that we would know him from. I believe he's even popped up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, wasn't he in the Captain America films as um, I can't think of the character's name right now uh, Boyd Holbrook from Logan Oliver Richters from Black Widow Ethan Isidore from Mortal and Mads Mikkelsen from Fantastic Beasts The Secrets of Dumbledore of course Mads Mikkelsen also appearing in the Star Wars franchise in Rogue One Mads Mikkelsen uh, I think first thing I saw him in was Casino Royale very good what gets me concerned is the film was produced by Kathleen Kennedy 
but also Frank Marshall and Simon Emanuel, with Steven Spielberg and George Lucas serving as executive producers. How much say they got to say on any of this, though, as an executive producer? I don't know. I have no idea. But at least John Williams is back. So uh, well, we'll just have to hope. You know, there, There's people that have uh, reported that there, there's a lot of things that may have gone wrong with how... The plot is and what they're maybe setting things up for a series and what they're possibly going to do. But, you know, let's try not to jump the gun. You know, I, I, I want them to have made a great movie, and I hope it is. I just uh, I don't want my heart broken again. A lot of these franchises that they consider us a mark for. And I'm no I, I definitely I'm no longer a mark for all the things I've loved. As uh, as I've said that Disney has left me, I'm no longer quite a mark for them. I now I now feel free to criticize when I don't like something they've done. Um, you know, uh, but I, I think they feel like we're a mark and they can stick anything they want into a, a beloved franchise that's been around and they can mess with it and uh, do things that uh, the fans aren't going to enjoy, but they'll do it because they think, oh, we need to push this idea. And so I don't trust these people anymore. I have no trust for them. One thing, though, that I am excited about, nothing had, can get me even less excited after seeing this. You're going to recognize this tune and you'll know what movie we're about to uh this is a little 30-second clip. Oh, we're the Mario Brothers and plumbing's a game. We're not like the others who get all the fame. When your sink is in trouble, you could call us on the double. We're faster than the others, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Thank you, Super Mario Bros. It seems like the only thing you haven't drained is my bank account. For super service, call or text Super Mario Bros. Plumbing today at 929-55-MARIO or reach us on the World Wide Web at smbplumbing.com. Now, I love the fact that those of you that are my age, you're probably going to recognize the uh, that little song from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. That was like the intro to the cartoon portion of the show. And I absolutely loved that they used it. And I will say the website and the phone number are legit. The website's going to mainly point you towards making the call to the to, or or at least I think sending a text. I think I, yeah, I think what I did is I called. Um, I don't have a way to really share the audio of the phone call with you anymore because my phone here does no longer have a uh, a uh, way to plug into my my PodTrack Four. It is all now like Bluetooth for the audio and stuff, so I can't really get the audio for you. Uh, I might be able to use uh, Skype to call it, I suppose. But basically, what it's doing is telling you to text. To them, and then you're gonna then find that Universal wants to be able to send you messages or whatever. They're trying to get you to sign up for like email lists and text lists and uh, a bunch of other stuff you're gonna get from Universal about other pictures. Well, that's pretty much what the website and what the phone call is about. I mean, it's kind of fun to get the call, to call and have Luigi on the phone or whatever. But yeah, it's it's a mailing list <laughs> you're gonna get. But that got me super excited with that trailer and having that classic theme song in there uh was super excited uh and I, that movie's coming very very soon i should have looked up to see exactly when it's coming i think actually is that coming in march or april i don't know i should have looked that up but it's coming very soon and i'm very excited oh, want to see a movie yeah any good it was bad i'm fuzzy on the whole good bad thing my eyeballs could have been sucked from their sockets i like it a lot the best movie ever made a fandom a nexus, nexus movie review, review. So Philip and I and uh, some friends of ours, we all went out uh, to see Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. 
Uh, I will say just from the get-go, had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Uh, a visual splendor, you know, people were talking about with the uh, the Avatar films. of They love looking at the creative world around them. And uh, for some people, that is the big draw is just the look of it. You know, even the story might lack this. The visual appeal and the world design is impressive. Well, I tell you what, this world design here was really cool because they got to imagine what this kind of micro universe in the quantum realm what that would be like and it's placed within a, a multiverse uh they they've created i mean it, there's times i was thinking to myself like this feels like what a star wars movie could be you know because uh, you had lots of different well aliens in their own weird way you know lots of different types of characters walking around uh that they were all entertaining and unique in their own way and one guy that I, I really enjoy, this guy who's kind of made out of jelly, and if you if you can consume his jelly, you can understand all the language that's being spoken around the area. <laughs> very weird. Very, very, very weird. But yeah, that reminded me a little bit of uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where you'd put the, uh, what was it, uh, some sort of a bug or something, I can't remember now, but you'd put it in your ear and it would translate things for you. Uh, you just, it just had that weirdness going on. Uh, so, I mean, the world, very creative with the world around and some of the uh, the amazing uh, people who lived in this weird world. Very creative. Uh, they did try to, you know, this still is Peyton Reed and they're at the helm. And he's been pretty much, or is it Peyton Reed or Peyton Moore? Wow, you know what? <laughs> I remember seeing, but it's the same fellow who's been directing these other Ant-Man movies. And he's had a feel and a tone that he's kept to and a storyline he's tried to keep around with Ant-Man. Even though we have expanded now. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got Hank and Janet back uh, for the original Ant-Man and the Wasp, which, you know, we get them as slightly older. So we get Scott and uh, and Hope now as an Ant-Man and a Wasp. So it's a slightly different uh perspective maybe than like the older marvel fans would have uh but we get like this like an ant family you know we, we get to see like i was wondering how they were bringing cassie in because we just kind of got to meet cassie as a teenager uh in endgame which now we're on our third actress playing cassie and i was seeing stuff in the trailers i was like oh she's wait she's making a thing to communicate with the quantum realm how does she know how to do this so and they've tried to go and they're 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 working on developing Cassie in a proper way to because when basically when you have abilities at a certain point that you didn't have before, you you kind of kind of tend to want to know where you get those abilities from from or whatever. And she talks about within the last five years because after her father's disappearance and stuff, she really dove into Hank Pym's books and studied and studied, and uh, so she under, has some understanding of the quantum realm, but she does make mistakes. And I appreciated that, that she's still learning. Uh, she's got her own, you know, shrinking suit. And it's it more matches a little bit to what her father uh, has. And we see her make mistake after mistake, but she learns and she grows and she develops. I'm like, you know, okay, there you go. Because, you know, most likely I do anticipate that she's going to be taking her full role uh, as Ant Girl. Uh, I think there's a few other names when I was looking up some stuff that she's gone by in comics. Uh, but we're, we're seeing her in her early, early career as trying to maybe become an Avenger herself. Uh, and we see her make mistakes or even even launching the plot of this thing is a mistake she makes with, you know, technology she's kind of learning and she's kind of creating and she's she's flexing some some mental muscle. And now, you know, the mistakes she makes throughout the movie, you kind of see her learning and growing, making mistakes and say, OK, OK, don't do that. And then and Scott's trying to teach her 
some of the stuff that you know because he's learned some stuff. So you know he's trying to trying to be a father and trying to be a mentor to her, and she and she does. She has that typical teenage daughter with a father where where he was been an absent father for the last five years or whatever. So you, there's that little bit of weird tension thing going on, and Scott's just trying to like I've got my daughter back and I'm trying so hard uh, to be that father, and she's kind of got that weird little issue thing and it's that's like you you can see the difficulty in the bond but yet you start to see after a while she's taken what he's trying to teach her on how to be an ant person or whatever uh and and she's learning and and taking him seriously so we do see some growth and i so i appreciate that that was that was good so uh and i i have enjoyed the actress playing her uh not as much as i enjoy the actress who the actor i'm sorry who's playing kang Wow, they cast him very well. We're going to talk about that actor as well. I pulled up uh, information both for the for Cassie and for Kang, uh, both for the actors and also for in the basic Marvel universe. So there's some biography you can find at marvel.com when you get into characters, but uh, the time-traveling despot Kang the Conqueror is aptly named using all his resources and technology from the future to rule as many universes as possible while there's still time. So he's also been known as the Blue Man, Victor Timely, Victor Timely Jr., Victor Timely III, Blue Totem, Scarlet Centurion, Rama Tut, King of Kings, Master of Men, Lord of the Seven Sons, Iron Lad, and Baby King. He was born on Earth 6311, the 31st and 40th centuries. Uh, Nathaniel Richards, that's the original dude. He was born in an alternate timeline, as I said, Earth 6311, a.k.a. Other Earth. In this reality, the Dark Ages never occurred and technology developed without interruption. Their timeline having diverged circa 300 AD, the people of Other Earth made their first moon landing in 900 AD, which became the first year of the new calendar. After a peaceful era during which a lunar colony was established, a great war between the colony and Earth destroyed the moon and plunged Other Earth back into a primitive state. Nathaniel Richards of Earth 616, attempting time travel, reached Other Earth and settled there. He used his knowledge to help rebuild that world and married Cassandra, a daughter of the matriarch of the, and I don't know how you say this, Irenus. Somebody's probably going to be like yelling at me how they think that's supposed to be pronounced, but really, we've never heard it pronounced before, have we? He became known as both the warlord, erroneously, and the benefactor. Approximately 1,900 years later, in the calendar year 3000, Nathaniel Richards' descendant and namesake was born into an age of peace and enlightenment thanks to his ancestors' efforts. At age 16, the young robotic student Nathaniel develops a working, growing man stimuloid model. However, his throat is slit by a bully, Morgan, causing him to spend the next year hospitalized. While recovering, he studies cross-dimensional recordings of the heroic age of Earth-616 brought to his reality by the benefactor. At age 25, Nathaniel discovers the Benefactor's Citadel, his former fortress, and a long-sealed chamber which contains part of a time machine and plans for its operation. So you see, this is a, a building up of multiple people to eventually become the King of the Conqueror we know. Let me continue reading this to you here. Like others from his native era, King ages as a, at a slightly slower rate than the modern humanity and is more resistant to the effects of radiation, though he can be hardened by concentrated doses. He is an expert in time travel and the manipulation of time and has mastered his future's advanced technology. He's an expert strategist, a veteran of armed and unarmed combat, and has an indomitable will to succeed through struggle. Kang's full-body armor, comprised of an unidentified future metal, enables him to lift five tons and can project a gravito-electromagnetic force field around him that is extendable up to 20 feet and can even shield him from a direct nuclear strike. 
The suit has been its own self-contained atmosphere, food supply, and waste disposal system. Or has its own, I should say. Uh, its weapons include anti-graviton particle projectors and its gauntlets, rendering weightless objects up to 2.2 tons, concussive force blasters equivalent to up to several thousand pounds of TNT, circuitry assessing his ship's time machine or other such resources, allowing him to allowing him to an automatic recall of a few seconds, as well as enabling him to peer into various timelines and various other weapons that are regularly updated. Kang formerly used this technology that transferred his mind into an alternate body upon point of death. Uh, there's a lot more information about there. Uh, it even says enemies across time here. Kang is his own worst enemy, constantly, constantly trying to prevent the future or undo the past. By doing so, he inadvertently creates variants of himself who sometimes hinder his world-conquering goals. Such variants include Immortus, Rama Tut, Iron Lad, Victor Timely, Baby Kang, and the Council of Kangs, which we kind of get a look at the Council of Kangs in this movie. I don't, I don't want to spoil anything, but we do get to see it. Kang forms the Council of Kangs to rid the universe of his redundant variant selves. He eventually faces the Council of Cross-Time Kangs, a group of aliens, creatures, and humans who take, up his, on, take on his appearance and defeat robots used by Kang, intended to help him rule several realities at once. In his travels through time, he becomes a time-misplaced menace to the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, <clears throat> and other heroic teams. He will occasionally team up with Earth's Mightiest Heroes when time calls for it. Lots of information, though, to read if you go to marvel.com and look into the characters. If you want to know more, there is way too much stuff going on. But, yeah, there's a little bit of the history of King the Conqueror. I think I first I – mean, I'd heard of him, but my first uh, real encounter, I guess, with the character would be in the Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes animated series, which I believe was Disney's first animated series that they did uh, with Avengers – I remember watching that. I do have, I think, the entire series on DVD, I believe. I think it's also available on Disney+. Plus. I've been thinking I need to go and rewatch that. But now the actor playing King, Jonathan Majors, holy cannoli, he's... Uh, I was trying to explain this to someone, and I said it's almost like he's got this affable menace. He seems likable, but if he lays down a bit of a threat, and he'll do it in an affable, not doesn't have to raise his voice or anything. He just... He just means it says a threat, and he means it. Uh, it's very it kind of scary the way he does this. Uh, but we've of course seen him previously in uh, the Loki series. Uh, but he's been in Devotion. Uh, that's a recent film that I've I've uh, I, I think I've seen it on a streaming service now. I've heard it's very good. I would like to check that out. Uh, Magazine Dreams, The Harder They Fall, Lovecraft Country, The Five Bloods, Lovecraft Baby, Jungle Land, Gully, Captive State. A lot of different things. But oh my goodness, his portrayal of Kang is. Very, very good. He he just eats up that scenery in a very calm and affable sort of way uh, with Menace. I mean, I just, I really, really enjoy him as Kang. Uh, really enjoying him. So uh, I think he's playing a major role or plays a major role in Devotion, which I can't think of what. It might be HBO Max that I saw that it's available to watch. It's based on a true story uh, that actually is a story that takes place during the Korean War. I believe he's the main character in that, I think. I'm going to have to watch that because I really do enjoy him. But now let's talk about Cassandra Lang. Uh, this coming from marvel.fandom.com. Uh, she's been known at, at times as Stinger. Uh, now, I don't know what she's going to be known as um, as we get into this, this incarnation of her. Uh, but she's been like an ant girl and all this stuff. I, I kind of think that she might be called Stinger uh, as she gets in there. 
Uh, and there's a quote of hers that says, I'm not going anywhere. My father was an Avenger. This was his home, and one weekend a month, it was mine, too. Now he's dead, and all I have left of him is, is inside the mansion. So I don't care who you are or what powers you have. I'm not leaving without it. So let's go talk about some origins here. This, of course, is the comic book origin, not necessarily in the film. It says, as a young child, Cassie suffered from a congenital heart defect, and to save her life, her father Scott Lang stole Henry Pym's Ant-Man equipment and Pym particles, which he uses to rescue Dr. Sondheim, the only doctor able to cure Cassie's condition from cross-technological technological enterprises. Let me pronounce that properly. As Cassie became older, she wanted to become a hero just like her father. With Ant-Man for a dad, Cassie was able to encounter the world's greatest heroes on a frequent basis. Scott's time as an engineer for the Fantastic Four brought Cassie to the team's then-headquarters of Four Freedoms Plaza in the spectacular environment Cassie once called home. She forged a strong friendship with Christoph Vernard, the former ward of Doctor Doom. For the time they shared a home with the Fantastic Four, Cassie helped Christoph adjust to life outside of Doom's castle, and she developed something of a crush on the boy. When the Fantastic Four went missing and Scott found himself without a job, he found employment at Oracle Incorporated with the Heroes for Hire. It was while working for the Heroes for Hire that Cassie had further adventures, accidentally activating the Super Adapto... Let me say this, right? The Super Adaptoid and receiving terrifying visions of things to come. The H4H easily defeated the Adaptoid... Heroes for Hire, uh, <laughs> and uh, Cassie's participation in these dark events helped her father and his allies defeat the Master in a battle for the fate of the Earth itself. After the divorce of her parents, Cassie's father joined the Avengers, and Cassie spent much of her time with her father living in the Avengers mansion. She loved and admired her father and formed a strong relationship with his colleagues. She even referred to Tony Stark as Uncle Tony. Unbeknownst to anyone, Cassie used this time to secretly expose herself to pin particles in the hopes that she could be a superhero like her father. However, when Cassie's mother Peggy remarried, she and her new husband, Blake Burdick, continued to harbor a growing resentment towards superhuman heroes and worry for Cassie's safety. Peggy was able to attain a court ruling limiting Scott's time with Cassie to supervised visits. Cassie went through a traumatic experience during this time, being kidnapped and held hostage with the looming threat of violence from a deranged individual hanging over her head. Scott arrived in time to save Cassie and nearly took the life of the crazed maid who had taken Cassie from her school. Her father's teammate, Jack of Hearts, had followed closely behind his fellow adventure, unwilling to let Scott make a fatal mistake before Cassie's very eyes. Jack did the avenging for Scott, as did so at the cost of his own life. So now we have the death of Scott Ling. I'm not sure if this is really kept in the comics. I don't really follow any in the comics. But uh, having felt responsible for Jack of Hearts' death, Scott ran out to greet his fallen comrade when he inexplicably landed on the Avengers' mansion grounds. Scott was then incinerated when Jack suddenly exploded, leaving some skeletal remains of Ant-Man in the newly formed crater. The Avengers lost a great deal during the coming hours, leading to the apparent end of the team itself. Cassie Lang was left without the love and support of her father. He was her parent, her inspiration, her hero, and more. The man who had meant so much to her had died. Cassie was very saddened by her father's death, but as one hero would leave the world, another would take his place. After Scott's death, Cassie began leaving with her mother and stepfather. Tensions were high, and Cassie constantly fought with her mother. One night, Cassie planned to leave home and join the Runaways. However, that same night, Cassie learned about the Young Avengers. Intent on joining them, Cassie sought out Kate Bishop, the young woman rescued by the Young Avengers. Together, the pair went to the Avengers Mansion and found 14 boys called Iron Lad. Patri Iron Lad, didn't that come up as Kang? Hmm. 
Patriot, Hulkling, and Asgardian. An argument soon erupted about Young Avengers membership, and Cassie began to grow at an alarming rate to everyone's surprise, including Cassie's. Captain America, Iron Man, and Jessica Jones arrived to quell the argument and help Cassie. This is all going on even before the Civil War. Wow, okay. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know. So while alone in the Avengers Mansion, Cassie confided to Tony that she had been secretly taking pin particles for years, and Tony told her the truth about her father's murder. Not long afterward, the mansion was attacked by Kang the Conqueror. During the battle, both Cassie and Kate joined in, and a brief romance sparked between Cassie and Iron Land. Lad. Uh, well, hmm. After defeating Kang and saving the world, Cassie and Kate remained on as permanent members. Captain America and Iron Man ordered the team to disband and refused to train them. However, Kate used some of her family's money and connections to procure a new lair, costumes, and weapons for the team. Although the code names like Ant Girl and Titan were suggested, Cassie adopted the title Stature. Huh, well, I guess it makes sense if you can grow. That's a good name. I wonder, maybe they'll use that for her in the films. Uh, after deciding to continue her life as a superhero, Cassie's stepfather and mother began to suspect that she secretly is Stature. Later, Jessica Jones confirmed Cassie's dual identity to her mother in an effort to stop the Young Avengers. Despite her mother and stepfather's objections, Cassie remained with the Young Avengers, hoping to avert a new Kree-Skorol war, rescue Speed, and battle the Zodiac. And then at this point, the Civil War happened. Uh, the Initiative, the Secret Invasion, the Mighty Avengers, the Children's Crusade. I'm not sure if I know anything about that, but I'm pretty sure. Oh, look, there's something about the death of Cassie Lang. Hmm. Let me see if I can find the beginning of this a little bit here. That's interesting. See, armed with reality warping powers, Doom returned to New York City to offer the Avengers and X-Men a choice. Join him or perish. During the ensuing battle, Doom's powers were overloaded and depleted. Unfortunately, Stature, Stature gave her life to defeat Doctor Doom. Iron Land proposed saving Stature by traveling into the time stream, but Vision refused, resulting in his destruction at the hands of Iron Lad. Although Wiccan warned of the danger of becoming King the Conqueror, Iron Lad left with the intent of altering the time stream to suit his will, promising he would be much better than King. So yes, Iron Lad is King the Conqueror. I wonder if we're going to get to see that version. Mm. Oh, so she has recently become Stinger, apparently. So yeah, there was a rebirth soon after World War Hate. See, I haven't read things in a while on what's going on in the rest of the major world, so wow. Soon after World War Hate, an inversion spell affected the moral axis of numerous superheroes and villains. One of them was Doctor Doom, who became noble and set out to fix the mistakes of his past. I have seen where that has happened. Uh, with the help of several heroes he assembled as a team of Avengers, Doom condensed a portion of the inverted Scarlet Witch's power to manipulate reality into a device in order to right his wrongs, but only had enough power to right one sin and chose to revive Cassie. Cassie was brought back to life and soon re-encountered her father. So, oh, her dad's back, too. Wonder how that happened. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, uh, 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 Scott's alive in the comics, apparently. I don't know how that happened. Cassie came back. Cassie resumed middle school and apparently suspended her superheroic activity. So she's still a child during all this stuff. I mean, middle school, my goodness, and became known as Stinger, taking kind of, and this, there's a picture of her as Stinger, and it's closer to the costume she's wearing in the film. Uh, really a very, very, very interesting. A lot of things that they could draw from and, uh, having some history with Kate Bishop and Iron Lad, I suspect we're going to see some of that. And, uh, I wonder if we're going to get a, a Young Avengers film perhaps, or maybe they'll be showing up some more characters from the Young Avengers here in the next phase or two. I kind of wonder. But Catherine New Newton is a rising star in Hollywood. She's had roles in Freaky, Big Little Lies, The Society, and Blockers. 
Haven't seen any of those, but she also has been in Pokemon Detective Pikachu, which I did see, and I do recall her from there. She was the uh, reporter. I uh, can't think of the character's name. Uh, but yeah, I, I was sitting there watching this movie. It's like, she she looks different from the last movie, but she looks familiar. It's like, why do I know who this is? And that's why, because the Pokemon Detective Pikachu. She is, like I mentioned before, the third person to play the role. And I think she did a, a pretty good job there. She was pretty pretty nice uh, in the role. I, I enjoyed her as well. Not as much as the King the Conqueror, that actor. Wow, he just blew me away. But now we're going to get into some main content for the next 15 minutes and talk about Hogwarts Legacy. So this is a recently released action role-playing game developed by Avalanche Software, who Disney fans were going to know them from Disney Infinity. I'm going to take a quick drink here. This was published by Warner Brothers Games under its Portkey Games label. I believe Portkey Games is also where they've released a few mobile games. So this is set in the Wizarding World universe, so late 1800s. It's like a century before the Harry Potter movies, which... Uh, Harry Potter, if you go to the dates I like in the books, he would be actually be about my wife's age. Uh, graduated like 97, that kind of a thing. Uh, so just a couple years younger than I am. So this would have been like, you know, the late 1900s when the Harry Potter stories actually take place. So, uh, Hogwarts Legacy is Avalanche's first release since their acquisition by Warner Brothers in 2017. And development began in 2018 while pre-release gameplay footage was leaked onto the internet in the same year. Officially announced in 2020... The game was subject to delays, first to 2022 and later to its final release date on February 10th for PlayStation 5, Windows, and Xbox Series X and S. The PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch will get their version here later this year. Now, there was some uh, weird controversy uh, because J.K. Rowling, is, she is more supportive of women's rights than she is trans rights. She was more for biological women, so she's been labeled a transphobe and so the 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 groups they've they've tried to boycott and they tried to come after her and they said well you know they, they tried to even make a big deal like if you are streaming this if you're on twitch and everything we're going to make note of you uh i streamed the day that i bought it i didn't get on twitch i was up on youtube and so you can find that the official neverland gaming channel i am not afraid of these woke fools uh so i was i, I i've only streamed a little bit i didn't want to share too much of the game because i don't want to spoil it really so much for anybody but I, I wanted to be able to show some character creation and some of the early bits of the game uh first going to hogwarts and a little bit of the gameplay you can watch me be really terrible at the combat if you watch that video i'm about to post some video i need to edit it uh of me being much better now and a little adventure i had here recently in playing uh, now that I've kind of mastered the combat, and I've gotten good at some combos and all the fun things you can do between uh, basically some Accio, Depulso, Flipendo, and Descendo. It's kind of my fun combo. This is where I pull them into me and then just sort of like rev up and shove them into a wall, cast Flipendo to get them tumbling in the air, and then use Descendo to smash them into the ground. And I've taken out quite a few goblins with that, and you can watch me do that in a video that I will upload into the official Neverland Gaming channel soon enough. But that is how much fun you can have with your spells and the different spells you have. Uh, I've even unlocked now where I can get to, I can access all my different spells a little quicker instead of having to go into a menu and swap out stuff on my four choices. Now I can have a total of 16 choices of spells. I just have to, you know, do a quick switch out. But, you know, they made it as a, as a quick and quick command. Um but you got a lot of different spells you can do. You've also got just like a typical attack. You've got a few spells that just kind of um, you don't use them in combat so much as you just have a prompt to use it. Like when you learn Alohomora, uh, you already know Patricus Totalis, I guess, when you start 
because you can use that in stealth. When you sneak up behind someone, you can Patricus Totalis and take out your enemies. Uh, lots of really fun magic that you can learn, and it takes a while to get to where you get to something I was looking forward to in the Room of Requirement where you could have your um, vivarium. That's the word they're using. And uh, you get you get a few vivariums because you're only allowed four different species in each vivarium, but this is where you can keep magical beasts that you rescue. Uh, there is somebody who pointed out, it's like you're, you're fighting against poachers and stuff, but it seems like you're poaching because you can sell these animals. Uh, or 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 harvest their feathers or fur to craft things or sell things or whatever. It's like, isn't that what poaching would be? No, see, poaching would be harming the animals or killing them uh, to for just simply for their fur or whatever that they're not you're not supposed to kill them. But what you're doing is rescuing. You're getting them away from the poachers. You're letting them loose in this vivarium and you're befriending them. You feed them. You you brush them and that kind of thing. And when you've fed and brushed them, they give you fur or feathers and so you make friends with them that is the difference you are you are keeping them you're like like a farmer would uh as opposed to locking them up in cages or killing them for their fur and that kind of thing so you get more of a better supply uh but you know maybe there's less money but some of the animals you get if you can't fit them in there you can sell them in a pet shop and the the owner well i don't know if you'd call it a pet shop but i'm what i'm calling it but the, the lady in there makes sure that they get good homes where they can have nice full safe lives so very much been enjoying it, having a lot of fun, lots of good side stories to go through, lots of very interesting uh, things going on with characters. That you're even going to spend a lot of time with a Slytherin, uh, because it, it tries to make the point that, hey, just because you're Slytherin doesn't mean you're evil, right? Uh, so <laughs> it just means maybe you're a bit more ambitious, maybe a little cunning. And they even point out, hey, Merlin was a Slytherin. So you get to do some adventures with some Slytherins, who's one of your major friend characters is uh, Sebastian, a Slytherin, and he's got a very interesting story that kind of develops over the course of the game. I have not yet finished the game, uh, but his story has been very inter inter interesting, and you get the opportunity to learn the dark arts with Sebastian, but it, it seems as you learn them, that doesn't mean you have to use them. Although I have been made aware that at the end, you will be given a choice, and that will determine the ending that you get. There's like th at least three endings. So what you do during the game does not necessarily affect everything at the end of the game. You'll have some options. Pardon me, how to get a drink there. I had a little bit of a tickle in the throat all this talking. Uh, now, one thing I've noticed that they did, and parents uh, be noted that this is aimed at teenagers. It is fairly rough. I mean, it's teen and up. Uh, there's some death going on, and it is indicated by your character that even though you're not using Avada Kedavra, you are doing things and you are killing your enemies. So uh, be aware, this is, you know, this is, uh, it has some pretty violent death things that have happened that are part of just stories that were kind of disturbing, like, whoa, kind of a shock one, something you don't, you didn't see happen in the movies, you see happen pretty early on in the game that it kind of surprised me. And I was like, wow, that's, woo. We're going to dark places with this. Uh, also, uh, be aware, and this might have been a, a way to try to keep people uh, off of it, but parents, uh, there is a major character in there who is a transgender. I was wondering what was up with it when I went into the, uh, um, into Hogsmeade. What is it? The Three Broomsticks. And there's a character who's designed to look like a woman, but has a man's voice. Uh, so I'm going to leave that there. Also, there is a character you will encounter that will launch you on a side collectible type of thing or puzzles. Go, there's puzzles in there that Merlin has set up. And the person who launches on that is a woman who talks about her wife. So parents, be advised that that content is in the game. 
Uh, so you uh, might want to have a conversation with your kids <laughs> on this just to keep that and to make that known and put that out there. So uh, you get to decide male and female. Uh, you, if you connect this game with your uh, Wizarding World account, maybe it used to be your Pottermore account or your Warner Brothers account, if you connect it, it will bring in whatever your wand was. Your Patronus, I think, might have a factor. I don't know. I haven't gotten to learn to cast a Patronus charm yet. Uh, I would. I'm hoping that that comes up because that might be that is a fifth year type of thing, right? To do to Patronus, I'm, I haven't seen it in the spell list, but I kind of hope I get to use a Patronus. That'd be kind of neat. Uh, but your 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 wand, your Patronus, and so you you can you can go with what you got sorted in as as, as your Hogwarts house and what you the your the wand that that it was that chose you through there, or you can kind of pick something within the game like. I'm a dragon heart string, uh, but if I wanted to, I could have had the unicorn hair. It, it will let you choose at certain points of the game. Uh, you can even choose what Hogwarts house you wish to belong to. So you're not stuck with it in there, but it does tend to ask you some questions. Uh, it didn't ask me a whole lot because I already had everything from the, the website, but uh, I have seen other pl people playing through, and they got a, a few more questions than I did. And it will select a house like, we recommend this house for you, but you have the option of choosing a house, which is something that's brought up in the games anyway. Uh, or in the books, rather. Sorry. Uh, that Harry does tell his son, like, hey, I kind of got to choose a Gryffindor, so, you know, maybe you can too. That kind of thing. So, yeah, there is uh, there is that factor in case you were curious. And you may have already heard that before. Uh, but I've really enjoyed it. The combat is fun. There's lots of interesting characters, lots of fun creatures. Uh, there's always a little dialogue going on with... Uh, Within town, and you can read it or in around running around Hogwarts. There's lots of secrets in Hogwarts to discover. Uh, there's so much. This game is so big. There is so much stuff. I mean, it is it's Skyrim in the in the Wizarding World. Uh, I even to the level of having. Oh, hey, I just discovered this little tomb or this cave. Let me go see what's in there after I've figured out how to unlock it. But you know, like Skyrim, you might wander in there and like, who lit these torches? I had to do this thing to get in here. How did how did these torches get lit? And this, these torches may magically light, or you might use magic yourself to light up the lights in the area, or you might just be wandering around with uh, you know you'll cast Lumos and have your lawn lit up, and you'll wander around like that. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff. It's very intuitive, and you have to kind of think, hmm, I'm kind of in a situation. It's kind of dark in here. I know, Lumos. You know, you're kind of left on your own to use your magic to the best of your ability and knowledge of how best to make use of it. And I, I've just enjoyed that entire thing. In fact, if I wasn't here recording this, I would be playing this game right now. Uh, Storyline is you've got a little bit of uh, some dark wizards kind of teaming with some uh, goblin rebellion, and... Your character has been a rare person who has the ability to control certain agent magic, which you're kind of slowly learning. But there's also some other na nasty, nasty magic. And how did it come into the world? And it's something that this particular goblin, Ranrock, seems to have some control over. And Ranrock is going to conquer the wizarding world for the goblin's sake. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I don't want to spoil too much of the story or anything, but sales have been very well. They've got a lot of accolades for this game. It's a wonderful game. Uh, I have been having a great time playing it. I promise I'll probably try to put some more video up on the official uh, Neverland gaming channel. I'm trying to not to spoil any main story points, and this was a side quest that I was doing because I don't want to spoil any main uh, storylines for you. For those of you who have only, only PS4 or don't have a system where you currently are able to play it, uh, I do uh, I do recommend if uh, you enjoy this type of thing at all that you go ahead and pre-order it because it is uh, fantastically fun game having so much fun so 
Uh, with that being said, uh, that's going to have to wrap up our show for this week, and uh, we'll see if I can come back again next week. I don't know what to do for the show for next time around, other than I, uh, I've i been working on trying to get a guest on. Uh, let me see if I can make contact with him. But I do want to remind you all, if you're in the Kansas City area, or, or want to be, March 17th through 19th is Planet Comic Con, and on the 17th and the 19th, that Friday and Sunday, I will be hosting two different panels, and we're going to talk about Walt's time in Marceline and in Kansas City uh, with the Laughagram Studios and also the influence Marceline had, and I do have some guests coming down from the Walt Disney Hometown Museum. You're not going to want to miss this. It's going to be fun, because I'm going to talk about vintage Disney and, the, and the, all the stuff we get from Walt, who's still one of my heroes. So, Come on down and make sure, of course, you visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com, where, of course, you can find a link to my podcast reviews. There you can leave a review. You can also sign up for just a small fee. You can actually join in and get some reviews sent to your email for your podcast if you happen to be running one. And uh, I've still got in my notes here to mention Red Circle, but y'all, by now, you know we're, we're hosted on Red Circle. But uh, we do want to thank Karen Kennedy, Ricky Pope of Christian Nerds Unite, and Darren Wilhite of the Wilhite and Wall Show for helping us out with our opening audio. Don't forget, you can send us an email, podcast at neverlandpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook. We're everywhere. There's a group. There's a fan page. And we ask that you please donate to patreon.com slash neverlandpodcast. You can find links for all this on neverlandpodcast.com to go and donate to us. Also, you can find our shop. I've got lots of different T-shirt designs. Of course, you don't have to get it on a t-shirt. You can get a lot of other stuff. Lots of fun stuff. And hey, you know what? Tell, like and subscribe the show as you would hear on YouTube. Tell your friends about this show that we are having a good time. And, you know, we've, we've gone and undergone some changes. And we'll talk about some more serious topics and more tr- inspirational things. Uh, we're you know, trying to, you know, give you some good positive things to think about in your life. As well as just having some fun as best we can. Playing some games. Talking about some movies and TVs and cartoons and stuff like that. And so we're go. We'll be back with even more. And I tell you what, I I'm really feeling the urge to go retro a lot more than I have. So, but uh, there's a couple of guests that I'm kind of thinking would be fun. One that I just need to uh, schedule a good time uh, for him to come back. He'll be a returning guest. So uh, I think I've mentioned it before. So that is coming. But uh, until next time, get lost in an adventure.